This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. All right, let's go ahead and get started. This is Not Another Church Podcast, and I'm your host, Pastor Tom. Uh, Minister here at North Glencoe. North Glencoe Baptist Church. I have with me... Hey, everybody. I'm Donna. I'm the Women's and Children's Minister here at North Glencoe. Hey, I'm Matt, and I'm the student pastor here at North Glencoe. So what we've been doing the last few weeks is we have decided to back up into the garden and then work our way through uh, the Bible stories. We've kind of called this series Bible Stories for Adults, and uh, we bring ourselves to the story that uh, I guess of all the Old Testament stories for some reason has attached itself to little children and newborns. Of all the stories of the Bible... It's got to be Noah. You're telling me we're at Noah? Uh, yeah, we're at <laughs> Noah. And I, I got to say that whenever I go into someone's nursery, I actually recently, in the last couple of years, there was a, a, a family that uh, went to their house. They're having their first little baby. And I walk in and they've got this border along the ceiling that is all that... Oh, it's every, it's everywhere. It was in like when I was a kid in the 90s. Like I can remember... I named my child Noah. My middle name uh, is you know. Noah. Yeah, so like, it was a big deal, but I remember not really liking the decorations very much because I, I can't tell you how many times I thought of, yeah, that story. I remember my sister, there was this <laughs> big stuff, like quilted door hanger looking thing that sat on like the cabinets of the changing station. I don't remember why I remember that. It was like a six and seven year old. My little sister was born, but I remember that. And it was just a big quilted out pattern thing of, no, of, of, of the ark with all the animals in it. But, you know, it may be nothing more than we can easily do a graphic design or a visual representation of the story where we can't the fall. I mean, what do you, you know, the fall is harder to represent because you can put the fruit in Adam and Eve taking a bite, but you can't really get into the, you know, now we've all fell into sin. Right. But as we look into the story today, we're going to say, first of all, this is super dark. It's super dark. The whole, the, what leads up to it, what happens is super dark. Afterwards. And then afterwards, I mean, there's no part of this story other than the animals marching to the ark. Hey, you know what? A couple of cute baby, llamas going in. Baby yeah. wallpaper. Yeah. Instantly. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of like in 200 years having baby wallpaper out of the Friday the 13th series. I mean... <laughs> Does a ski mask along the wall yeah, with, in a border. Oh, look, it's a hockey mask. There's like bloody chainsaws just everywhere. <laughs> like, oh, look. Aw. Aw, Jason is R. his name. So, yeah. I mean, we're literally hearing a story about um, everything that lives on Earth. Everything that breathes air on Earth is killed except a few. 99% of everything was dead. Because... <laughs> We as humanity once again proved that we would rather climb a tree and lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth. We we would rather we would go out of our way to be, be as wicked and evil as humanly possible. What? <laughs> I don't know where that comes from, Tom. I, I, it comes from the depths of our own hearts. Um, I mean, also, for, I don't even gotta go that deep. It'll just fly right <laughs> off my tongue. That's right. <laughs> you, gotta go, you ain't gonna go to the depths of nothing. It'll no, just roll no, right no, off. It'll roll right off. Yes. I, I recently was uh, Anne and I had gone to Gatlinburg, and on the way up, had stopped in Chattanooga to eat. There's a particular restaurant that we really like. That, unfortunately, because of COVID, is only open on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and we were there on a Monday. <laughs> Monday. So we ended up in this really crunchy. Uh, bougie uh, restaurant that uh, th- that were you dressed appropriately? N- no, <laughs> I did not have Birkenstocks on and didn't didn't have enough <laughs> granola in my pocket. But it was this really milk 
toast kind of place. And we walk in, and there's this poster on the wall that shows a, a human being and a lion. And the lion is like, has blood com- coming down the front. He's clearly just been in a feed. And it says, one of these is the most destructive force on and humankind, and the other has a pretty yellow coat, or so, something along those lines. And it, at first it was so, you know, crunchy, bougie, that I'm like, wanted to roll my eyes. But really, if you stop and think about it, I mean, we'll tear some stuff up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. What we do? I, I want to go, like, one of those little, one of those rec room things that like you just go and, like, you just take a baseball bat and just go absolutely go crazy, go stupid. I, I'm a big fan. I, I, I mean. Recently, uh, I've had an opportunity to feel that way. People, yeah. people stuff, what? At, when I throw stuff away and you throw it in the dumpster, I don't just set it in the dumpster. I, I mean, don't do it, that. Nobody does that. And what's funny is, just about, I'm 50, just about all men my age, when if there, it's a Saturday afternoon, it's raining, are going to end up watching you know World War II in color. We, we, <laughs> and, and if you think World War II was when it was like Michael Bay was producing history. It's like, it's just going to be yeah. super over the top with the millions of tons of bombs. We, the way that we traveled around the earth to exotic and strange places just to kill somebody is unbelievable. The amount of the planning that we put into the it, the planning, the, the, the logistics, yeah. the, the, the effort to seek someone out just so that we could kill them. Because I wonder how many stopped and thought of the ought of that ought we to do this, <laughs> you know? Well, and I'm not saying that, you know, Hitler and, and, and Mussolini and the Axis powers were good and they shouldn't no. be stopped. No, 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 not no, saying no, that at no, all. No, no, what no. I'm saying is, is just humanity in and of itself. If you look at human history, there's very few moments that aren't punctuated by war, conflict, argument, angst. We're just we're just some wicked people. Well, and as we you know, a few weeks ago or months ago when we were going through Revelation, we've talked about how that's always been the case, but it seems now as everything in our world develops and and technology and people and culture and all these different things and these different uh, these, I guess, for lack of a better term, everyone all of a sudden is becoming, and I'm doing air quotes here, woke. For it's just everything is so hostile, and everything is moving to more hostility. Into everything is again, as Paul writes it, groaning, and it seems like it's groaning stronger and stronger, and with more intensity and quicker and quicker and quicker. Which is, come, Lord Jesus, come. We're thankful for, in a way, for those things. We 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 want Him to come faster and come quickly. But it's in every aspect of our life. It's in every aspect of what you see on social media or the news or whatever. Something is always going down somewhere. It just every is. political discussion, everything you say. Just this week, I've had a discussion with Lucas when we talk about the difference, and I made a point with him, and I wanted him to get it that we say we use the phrase we lose our temper, right? We use that pretty regularly, and I said, I, um, as I have spent some time in prayer recently, had an opportunity to. Um, control my temper um i realized that the answer is we don't actually lose our temper there there's an implication a little bit there of it's accidental or we just kind of oh, i just dropped oh, it we're overcome i've been mean, looking everywhere you know? where'd my temper go i just I man said, just let it go we're a little overcome i said but the answer is we let it go now if anything i let we go actually of me. intentionally and we are conscious when we do it unless yeah. there is an issue of psychosis of some kind that's going on we I open up the crate and it let it out. We let it yeah. go. I said nobody loses no. their temper. We let it out, you know. Well, and that's we see humanity acting like humans in Genesis chapter 6. Now this is literally uh we are 10 generations into humanity. 
if we follow the generations that are given um, in the in the book of Genesis. And it starts out and says, when man began to multiply on the face of the earth. So we, we were getting a situation where there's a whole bunch of people around. Um, and, and we have a very strange interlude. And, you know, we may not get to the flood as we delve <laughs> off into this. And I'm prepared for that. But we have this strange introduction to the flood, and most theologians believe that this is the placement of this is to show exactly why it moved so quickly. This is what it says. Acceleration of sin. Yes. So man begins to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. For he is flesh; his day shall be 120 years. As we know, up to that statement, uh, Adam lived for 930 years, Enosh lived for 905 years, Enoch lived for 365 years, and then just was not, uh, which is a totally different discussion. (laughs) Rabbit trail. (laughs) Methuselah was 969 years, and Noah was 950. God said, "You know what? I'm, I'm sick and tired of all these old people continuing to sin and sin and sin and sin and sin. So I'm going to limit them and." Our age drops more in line to what we have today as a grace, as God saying, you know what, I'm tired of this happening, so I'm going to limit them. Okay, so then then we get to the part that I would say at least once a month I get asked about because it's so strange, and it's not normal in the Bible. It says, the Nephilim, and we'll come back to that word, and if you're used to the King James Bible, it would say the giants. The Nephilim were on the earth in these days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So, Matt, if you could just explain that for us real quick. Yes. Button that up. Um, yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> False. Yeah. We're, See. we're all waiting and looking at Matt right now. <laughs> But, yes. Okay, so a, a couple of quick things. The translators of the New American Standard Version, the ESV, completely wuss out on this word Nephilim. They just take the Hebrew word and transliterate it into English. Nephilim, the, uh, 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 nephi is the Hebrew verb for the act of falling. Im, like in seraphim, uh, anytime that, that a word ends in I-M in Hebrew, that means it's more than one. It's plural. It's like a, 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 a apostrophe S for a, So the uh, fallen English. ones. Right. So it's the fallen ones or in, in Hebrew. We, we don't have this word anywhere else in the Bible, so it's hard to, to we say. We reference it. We, to, to look it up. Uh, we, we don't know exactly what's being said here. So in the King James, they took a almost commentary approach and they called it giants because Hebrew uh, theologians and Christian theologians for the 1600 years leading up to the King James translation have said that these were giants taking from the fact that their children were mighty men of renown. So um, Nephilim, are all we know for a fact is is that the word comes from... Um, the, the, the Hebrew word to fall, that could be suggestive of their faith, though. For, yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Or yes. it could be suggestive of the fact that they were fallen ones. The fact that it's preceded the, by the sons of God. Now, sons of God, the, only, the, fir- the first time that's used is in reference to Adam because he was made by God. 
And so Adam is the son of God, so it doesn't necessarily have to be angels or angelic beings. Fall in love with the sons of men, and their like, children are these Nephilim. They fell in love with the women. We, yeah. Yeah, the okay. women. <laughs> the, the ladies. <laughs> no doubt there were other scenes going on of so, that nature, but here, yeah. here you get you've got you've got a lot of of all it's almost like because we know that Moses is writing down verbal history. Moses would not have been alive here. We know that Moses wrote this because Jesus said that Moses wrote it, and, mm-hmm. and so when Jesus mm-hmm. said something, we have a tendency as Christians to listen to what he said, and Jesus says that Moses wrote God. this. Yeah. And so Moses, obviously not being there, is taking the, the oral history that had been passed down for the four to 6,000 years in between this happening and him writing it down. And so it's almost like the writer here is assuming that we know more of the story. And... Um, as we read about other things, and usually people go to Second Peter, and Second Peter it says, Second, uh, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in Jude, and it says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, God has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. So we know that some of the fallen angels did something so bad that they're put in chains now. That God's not putting it off until and death and hell are cast in the lake of fire. And, and you're leading to the fact that people connect these two scriptures. People historically in Christian theology have connected these two, that angels came down, thought that the, this, the daughters of men were hot, took them as wives. But somehow, there's no marrying among angels. Well, it, you know what? Nobody's got to get married to have kids. <laughs> No, but the reference, the inference there. Is okay, so okay, and I'm I, I'm going to settle firmly on the fact that I don't know. Okay. So I'm telling you what other theologians have said. I'm putting this right in there with the Book of Revelation, where I think that at some point after we die, we cross over the Jordan. We're talking to Noah about this, and we're going to go all. Oh, yeah, of course. That's clear. So, like, when I cross over, I'm going to hug Eve and tell her, I really understand. After several you, years girl. of walking out this life, I'm not angry at you anymore. I get it. I get it. And yes. then I'm going to turn around and ask about the Nephilim. Yeah, yeah. well, That's I think there's a lot of people. There There may be a big sign for questions about the Nephilim. Turn here. Here's the Q&A section. <laughs> <laughs> and there's and no one's going to be sitting there going, all right, next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, yes. I mean, Peter says we shall be like, or Paul says we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Maybe we're just going to go, no, oh, maybe you golly. No, and just kind of. Ah, <laughs> it was that all along. So, regardless, here's what theologians have, for the last 2,000 years, tied these two thoughts together that that angels naturally are spiritual beings they don't have a physical being normally but that they have the power to to give themselves a physical body look, look at what because we have angels who show up and they they say things like hey don't be afraid hey whoa i'm not gonna kill you just quit so if you don't have a physical body, my as you saw me raise my eyebrows, the um, if they don't have a physical body, then well, but clearly they the were able to get a physical body. They can okay. manifest themselves okay. with a physical body. Okay, I don't like it. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> so, it seems like we're just stretching things. That I, I would, know. I would maybe is, <laughs> that 
<laughs> Everything I, I like, you need to say like, here has to be I, carefully I filtered. Like the, I like the uh, trying to ID, ID who these people are in terms of the practice of what they did. I would like to move that into like a tertiary like like subcategory yeah. over here. <laughs> Um, well, and, and there, there are generally three different ways that this has been translated. So either they're the sons of Seth, the Sethites, okay. Okay. who go after Cain's daughters and they intermarry. But how are the people that are born mighty men of renown? So that's the first translation. And so that brings that question up. Um, there's the... the Mighty men of renown. Wouldn't that if Seth's children were mighty men of God because he followed in the footsteps of God? Could that be a reference to their walk with Christ for a, a period of time? It could be. Or with God for a period of time? It could be. It could very well be. Um, it could be that um, Lamech and his children created harems for himself, which is one of the Jewish taking that they made these big harems and that they actually did something along the lines of um, the, the way that we do animals. If I have a, a big bull and... I put him with the best heifers. I'm going to have big heifers, uh, big calves. <laughs> Selective breeding is the word that I'm talking about. There you go, there that you go. within these harems that the children of Lamech did, that they create, they over generations because they're living for 900 years, have these big old boys. Maybe, maybe. Big heifers. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, okay, there you go. We've lost it entirely. <laughs> So as a result of all this, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intentions of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm so glad that we're not in that situation now. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, man, violence was continually everywhere, which we would read. I mean, the later. acceleration that you go from Adam and Eve in the garden to you hit their sons, Cain and Abel, and then Seth, and then boom, here we are. You know, the fall, I mean, you know, creation, the fall, all of this happens, and then we're here at the next big story, and the way that sin has accelerated. And over if you this just take time, the ages of the people who are named, and, I, you know, there's young earth, old earth, and some people say that only the God's hitting highlights. Mm -hmm. um, but if we take the age, we're looking at um, several thousand years between right, right. creation and Noah. So mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, somebody turned around twice. But I think the point of the narrative is, given the best of circumstances, man's always going to trend toward evil. Yeah. Yeah. And that it had degraded to the point that all men everywhere, their thoughts were constantly, how can I do wicked stuff? Later, it says that violence filled the earth. And so man took advantage of his fellow man. And again, it doesn't take us long to figure out, even right now in the culture that we live in the United States, which is supposed to be a liberal democracy where human rights are valued very highly, we have a huge issue with human trafficking, mm. yeah. which is which is modern day slavery. I yeah. mean, there is no yeah. no way around it. And every time there's a big bust, invariably you'll have 
pastors, cops, judges, priests, any of that kind of stuff. You have people from across the spectrum of our country that are caught in these webs and they just want to take advantage and use for their own gratification other human beings. You see, I mean, you see every week of uh, a teacher at some school gets busted for having an inappropriate relationship with a student. And, like, that's that, that's not – I mean, that's that, that's just, like, so antithetical. That's, like, not supposed – that that's not how that works. That's not yeah, how that should happen. Yeah, and the reason we hear those, those hit the headlines along with the ones out of the church, you right. know, at large, yeah. that hit the headlines because people know that this is opposite of what we are supposed to be living like. But it's on that this pursuit is, of my wickedness, my my flesh, my self, my gratification. It's every, all of those things is in pursuit of, of, of that, which is always going to lead us empty and wicked and all of those things. And mm-hmm. one of the apologetics in my mind for the truth of the Bible is it doesn't attempt, like many other holy books do, to sugarcoat human nature. There is no doubt if you read the Bible, just read it, there is no doubt that humanity, when left to itself, is always going to trend through to wickedness. And human history proves that out. Well, it's not about it's not a it's it's not about behavior modification. Like it doesn't all of a sudden with a lot of other belief systems, it's become okay, this is the right thing. This is how we're moving towards the right, and this is the things we need to leave behind because that's wrong. For believers or followers of Christ, that's the baseline now. Like that's not that's not the end point. It's not it's not about b- behavior modification. It's it's the destruct. It's the it's the killing of sin in our life, and ultimately the killing of sin to become more like Jesus. And all of that is again, like you said, the killing of sin is it's denying of self. It's an invitation again. Is when when we recognize Jesus as Savior, but also Lord. It's an invitation, as Jesus said, to die to self which everything all other belief systems are there and there's some who you know don't do this these things are bad and they're actually you know whatever but the whole denying of self of saying it's no longer about what you want even though everything about you wants what you want it's about what brings me and my father being jesus the most amount of glory and again it, it, it's not and i think so many people have that just like a, a mis a misconstrued vision of how it's of Christianity is just, I just got to do the right thing. And I got to, you know, like you've said before, I just got to, you know, when I come out to church, I just, I, before I come out to church, I just get my life together. Well, you're not going to. Like, <laughs> I'm right. not going to. No. That's not a, that's, that's, you're it's never, not a, can't do don't that. hold your breath, my God, because that's never going to happen. But you do watch as God works on that sanctification process in your life of how he changes you. Because I've recently had an opportunity where self-control had to come into play and I did not want it to. Yeah. You know, there are some sins that I look at and I go, oh yeah, I got those. I, I'm down, I'm down pat with that. God, I, I walked away from all of that. But the inference that comes from the words dying to self mm-hmm. is that the difficult ones are the ones that the places where we hold on to our, you know, tendencies to sin or the things that we most struggle with. And you see how God works in your life, you know, in the moment. Yeah, Tom, I've heard you say multiple times of how you journal and whatnot in the journals from 20 years ago. Stuff you have now, the stuff you're struggling with, it's the same stuff. And, like, everybody can oh, make can say so that. it's so frustrating. And, and I will even go so far as to say John Owen points out that there's visible sins and root sins, and he uses the analogy. And, by the way, I, I've been accused or told that I have a tendency to reference somebody and not give a source. It's the mortification of sin by John Owen. <laughs> I was about to ask. Like um, <laughs> but he talks about how we sometimes think that we've overcome sin. We've cut that visible sin off, but it's just, it's just like if I go cut a weed off, it's going to come back up. 
if I don't pull it out by the roots. And so I may not, you know, when I was a little kid, if I was in a, in a grocery store, I might steal candy and get a whooping for it and have made to go carry my allowance back to pay for it. And I, thankfully, and today, today I don't have a problem stealing candy when I'm at Johnson's. Um, but the desire for instant self-gratification, yeah. that sin has popped up in other places. Yeah. And yeah. so the root sins of our life Outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ, I can never control, and that's what the Bible really clearly teaches. A book that I read on it was one of the when I first started doing ministry. It was trying to figure out, okay, how does Matt? How do, I need I need to get to the root of who Matt is as a believer. Like trying to figure out again my sin tendency stuff like that. And I read a very similar book that was probably four or five years ago. Uh, it's Carlos Whitaker, and it's called How to Kill a Spider. And and he uses it's a, it's the same principle the analogy of when I, if I walk into a room, and I see that that room is has cobwebs all over it, like and it's dirty and it's filthy and it's messed up. And when I use, shed a little bit of light, and he says light as in the light of the world, as in the gospel, as in that changing me, he said, well, so what, what our tendency sometimes will do is we'll clean up cobwebs, we'll clean up the room. But if you didn't kill a spider, guess what happens? Cobwebs come back. Right, and he said, "So when you, so we, he said, so we would learn how to kill spiders. We would learn how to kill those sin problems, those things again. And part of that is, yes, the cobwebs, yes, the byproduct of those sins. That's a sign that you need to look at. If you're seeing cobwebs, well, you need to find a spider." He said. So a lot of us, again, I need to get my life right before I come out of church. That's cleaning cobwebs. Right. Or the time to- that I'm able to handle a sin temptation and then i'm so proud of the fact that yeah, i right. handled it so if you spend your life <laughs> so trying to clean, if here. you're trying to spend your life cleaning cobwebs again it's not it's not behavior modification right. because if you're cleaning cobwebs you're trying to do less bad things but it's not cleaning cobwebs you kill spiders and so it's not cleaning up my it's not cleaning up my sin it's i have to kill my sin i have to confess and repent and turn away and run from my sin Absolutely. Uh, so, okay, so we, in the, I don't know if you caught it, in the, the <laughs> section that I just read, it says twice that the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it says that um, I regret that I made man. So, here we have these two statements. Donna, could you, if you could reconcile that with the immutability of God. Uh, yes, it's probably time for me to take a small break and <laughs> get a drink of water. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, I don't know, Tom. How would you answer that as the pastor of the church? Actually, um, this text, as often texts, are written concerning God anthropomorphically, which means from our perspective. And I just, I'm just going to read what one of the Puritans wrote because he did a better job than I could. Here, the reference to a change of attitudes and action, there is no contradiction between this verse and passages teaching the changelessness of God such as Malachi 3.6 or James 1.17, in that God does not change his mind. In Numbers 23.19, 1 Samuel 15.29, Psalm 33.11, Isaiah 46.10, and hundreds of others. Yeah. Okay, so we recognize uh, that this description is God being depicted in a way that the human can understand from our place of knowledge and emotion. We must also recognize that the immutable and sovereign God deals appropriately with changes in human behavior. God said, I'm going to do this. If you do that, we do what we want to do. Just like with the children of Israel, God said, I set before you a blessing, a curse. A blessing if you do what I tell you to do, a curse if I don't. And so the Bible tells us in the book of Hosea that God divorces Israel. And yet he then later says that God hates divorce. 
So what we're seeing in that is, is that God's dealing appropriately with changes in human behavior so that when we as humans sin or repent of sin, God changes his mind with regard to the blessing or punishment appropriate to the situation. We see examples of that in Exodus, in 1 Samuel, we see that in Jeremiah, we see that in, and all in accordance with his sovereign and eternal purposes because God is changeless in his being and eternal loyal to his covenant promises. So we can place our confidence in him, but we can also recognize that him doing what he said he would do can be a blessing or a curse based on what we do. And the example that, that I, I think of, Jesus saying, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap, can be in our life one of the most beautiful promises in the Bible. As we're obeying God and doing things that nobody sees and we get no reward from. Hey, God said that I will reap what I sowed. Or that can be one of the most horrifying things because we <laughs> yeah. know what we're sowing. If I'm sowing seeds of destruction, I'm going to reap destruction. If I'm sowing seeds for a blessing, I'm going to reap blessings. Um, and so in neither of those cases is God changing. God has actually laid out exactly what would happen. And from what happens in that all of humanity is destroyed, Noah and his children and stepchildren are survived. From that, God's promise that we saw last week to Adam and Eve that from your seed someone is coming who will bless the whole earth or that's going to crush the head of the serpent um, we see that being fulfilled. God's doing what he said he would do. But, I, and I say this to my kids when they disappoint me, I say things like that all the time. And so it's not saying that God has, his, his will has changed or his sovereignty has changed. What it's saying is, is that man has changed the scenes. And it, written from that human perspective, the anthropomorphic view of that, examples of that to, that came to mind as you were doing that so that as someone's trying to wrap their mind around this this viewpoint it, would it be could you use like where uh was it Belshazzar saw the writing on the wall that whole scene where yes. he's you know that change he changes he changes how he behaves and, you've been placed in the scales yes yeah and found yes which is not a Exciting. Oh, God, can you imagine how that felt? Um, and then maybe even the use of the, as as, Je as God describes Jesus as the Son of God, is that would that be another example that you would use where God's using language to help us understand? No, I, no I would say it's a little different in that one in that God created the relationship of Father and Son in humanity so that we would understand the eternal relationship. Okay, so not from us to him, but him to us. Yeah. Yes, um, because he made the way that humans are procreated. Mm -hmm. So uh, an example of that anthropomorphic view, though, is given when we read in the book of Psalms, and this is an extreme example where it says that the earth is God's footstool. Okay, he's not suggesting that God is leaning back on, on Saturn, reclining with his feet up on the earth, because mm -hmm. God is a spirit. Jesus said God's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God's not, he didn't have feet, he's a spirit. Mm -hmm. The principle that's trying to be caught, taught that a human being's life is but a vapor. It's like the grass of the field that grows up and then it dies and withers away. And so we should recognize that God is eternal. And David says in other places that the Lord is the heritage of the righteous, which means that, again, you're not going to be forgotten. 
um, we take that from that language. We don't take that a literalist interpretation that says God's reclined back on Saturn. We read poetic language the way it's intended. Same thing here. As Moses is writing this out, he's giving us language to say how upsetting human behavior is. And um, I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we can relate to it because we're equally upset with ourselves when we sin over and over and over and over and over again. So, you know, going back to how we kind of open this is this is not a happy scene at all. Mankind is killing itself, taking advantage of itself to the point that God looks at his creation and says, why, why did I even do this? They're so wicked and so evil. What's the point here? But we have this beautiful thing where it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this wasn't shocking to God because God's the one who gave Noah the grace to be living a life of righteousness so that he could find favor in the sight of the, of the Lord. So th- this gets into uh, what the Puritans call the cycle of praise, where God gives us the grace to have the faith to be changed into his image, which then glorifies him. He gives the gift that works its way around to glorifying him. Same thing that we see here with Noah. So Noah was a righteous man, blameless, and Noah walked with God. What a great thing to be said of a person. Yeah. Well, and anytime you anytime you see that happening, that's always again with with Enoch that like or Enoch or however you say it. I'm gonna I want to meet you. Remember somebody named Enoch? Yeah, just I had seemed, an uncle. It really? Yeah. I think, that's a, I think it's just a cool name. Like it yeah. just, you just something about it. It's just, and it, it is one of those names, kind of like uh, Marthy and Martha. Yeah. It's like because I think that I, I'm, I'm in my mind. I'm trying to say it without thinking. I think we've always said Enoch, like the it's a hard uncle. knock. I have, I have a hard knock. Have you really? Yeah. yeah, yeah we yeah. had Uncle Enoch, so that was so it, I guess that Enoch. was how it, Uncle yeah, Enoch. Enoch. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, but like saying that, he walked closely with. God again when you, when Adam he walked with God like that's kind of this cool it, it, something about that phrase it means something it I mean it's and it's very it's very cool to look through Scripture and see those individuals who did that and to see the not the impact but like to see the closeness that they had with God that man I just I, if I could just uh, walk with the Lord if I, could, well, if I could just like walk behind him or like you know just like just a few I mean just a, a few steps I mean any anything just just near it you know like we'll just we'll get close. Well, and that expression will preach just on its own because um, walking has the implication of, of movement and, and locomotion. And, and honestly, I think a lot of people in, in Christian Christianity, uh, their theology is fairly sound, but where, the, where it kind of falls apart is when it, it's that going through my day-to-day. Well, it's walking with God. And like I said jokingly, like I would just want to be you know behind or whatever – these guys weren't behind him, right? They're not. He's not unattainable. It's not that you can't catch him. It's not that you can't find him anywhere. He's walking with them. And on the other thing to keep, or on the other end of that spectrum, to keep us in check. He, he's not walking behind us. He's not. He's there, there is no. He's not running up to me. He's not running up to, after me trying to catch me because that's not how that works either. And right. nor am I supposed to jump and try to fall to try to be the leader there. Like that's not that whole phrase of keeping that in check of how my relationship with God works. Again, he's walking 
I'm I'm walking with him. He's walking with me. Like right. it's it's stride for stride, which is again encouraging for that day to day. I'm not chasing after him. He's unattainable. And also, when I'm the leader, I, there's no telling where we're going. But it's not good. No matter where we go, it's not good. So this is the the edict that's issued. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I'm I'm picturing a a nursery right now, just (laughs) listening to... And I read that word corrupt. I recently... uh, we, uh, I'm having to eat a lot of fruit now, and so I'm sitting in the kitchen, and I'm trying to decide what I'm going to eat, and I look over, and there's a grapefruit, which rarely in my house does any good fruit get left around. And so I'm like, ooh, I'll have great. So in kind of my mind, I get my taste buds ready. I'm getting everything ready. And I walk grapefruit. over, and when I reach to pick it up, the, my fingers sunk into Ew, it. Oh, no. And, and that, it had that sickly sweet smell of rot once I punctured it with my fingers, and you just want to go cut your arm off yeah. because it's like, so it's sticky for four days, and no matter how much soap I use or scented soap I use, it's still going to smell. Or it even disgusting. feels like it has that white powder of the mold. Oh, oh no! Yeah. No, so no, all no, no, the no, earth no, no, was no. just nasty and corrupt and filled with violence, and God had determined to make an end of all flesh. I'm going to kill every baby bunny. I'm going to kill every cute little kangaroo. And I'm killing up. them all. Yeah. And then they're going to make <laughs> nurseries out of this scene. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. I think we'll do that. Uh, I mean, and as corrupt as we see the world in which we live, you know, like we know our own heart, we can work our way out from in here to outside. Sure. And we can look around news headlines. Uh, I mean, if you're unsure about how the world stands, feel free to get on social media and read a comment thread. You know, you're going to find uh, it's bad. And then I think how much worse did God let it get before he reached that point? That's interesting. Well, and you know everybody, everybody know everybody who's been in Sunday school knows that Methuselah is the oldest living person, and we can tell from his name in Hebrew just that God had said Methuselah is going to to live until the end. In fact, if you look at if you do a timeline, uh, you you will see that Methuselah dies just before the flood. Mm-hmm. That God, and so the oldest man who ever lived. That's neat. That that's showing God's grace, how long suffering he is, and he's waiting. Until finally, I, and growing up in my house and growing my children growing up in my house, if you got to the point to where, like, if, if dad got up out of the lazy boy and I started <laughs> going, I'm sorry, I'm cleaning up the toys now, it was too late. Once dad got up out of the, I, in fact, I can right now in my head, I can hear the legs of the, la- the, of the it, <laughs> yes. going into the chair. If you heard that sound, you're done. It's a good time. It's, it's toast. It, there is no amount toast. of forgiveness. There, the, but sometimes, if, especially if there's something good on TV, it takes a long time for those legs to get down. Well, I, you know, I thought I had that down pat with the first two, and then I come along with another child, and it took a constant moving towards him. To, for him to understand that he was going to do what I said I was going to do. Yes. Um, or what I said for him to do. And, oh, God, that, you know, each one was different for us. But, yeah, that's, 
that patience, that working it out, and you're okay. I'm I'm counting to three. How many oh, times gosh. do we hear count to three? Count to ten? See, I never counted. I never counted. Uh, I did some. I, I didn't a lot. I wasn't a big fan of it, so I, I didn't a lot. But it was when I say do it, do it exactly. And then I had the one kid who just looked at me. I mean, I could say that. I, I could. We could perform all kinds of discipline, but until I actually made. My, the move to get up off the couch or the chair or, or from one room to the other, whatever's going on, and, and like I'm physically approaching you. And I'm then about would, to jerk a knot in you. I, I'm jerk, jerk a knot in your tail, and and then he would do what he was supposed to do. You know. Yes. So the rule in my house was, if I'm getting up, it's too late. So you better have the be cleaning your room or stop hitting your sister or whatever it was. Be kind to your mother. Don't. Yeah. So. At this point, God's done. Now, I want all of the people who are listening to stop for a second because I will say, um, and it's because I just recently was watching just a TV show about, it was a fireman's show, and this question came up because one of the guys is in a harrowing situation. He turned to the fireman beside him and says, so do you believe in God? And he says, no. And the guy says, why? Because they're, you know, they're in a burning building or something. Yeah. And he says, because I can't believe in a God that would allow evil to exist. You know, the standard Nietzschean argument, God is either powerless to do something about it or he's evil himself and he allows it to exist. Here we see God's grace and long-suffering ending, and it's not pretty. Recognize that if God dealt with evil, that would include you and I. We're evil. So you and your human justice want to stop it at the murderers or the adulterers. Well, what about the fact that Jesus condemned us all as murderers and adulterers in our heart? Or do we, do we want to stop at thought, sins of, of where we physically act out sins? And then where are those degrees? No, God hates all sin. And so God sees that, and God hates it not because he just picks some random thing to hate. He sees how it destroys us. And it's just like my kid sticking a fork in a socket. It's not loving for me to let him continue to do that. And so God has told us, God through the Holy Spirit and through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is changing people from that. But when God deals with sin... If you read here or if you read in the book of the Revelation, it is not pretty. We don't want God to get up out of his chair. No. 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 And, and I, I say that metaphorically because God is not, because oftentimes, just like I said, I would sit in the chair a lot longer than I probably should have. Um, God is long-suffering and gracious to allow us an opportunity to repent and turn to him. So God said to Noah, I'm going to destroy them with the earth. So make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And we're not going to get into a lot of the details. He tells them to make a big boat. <laughs> and the word ark. And if you is, want to see one, go to Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, that's right. You can see it. Uh, the word ark just means box. Uh, it's not a fancy word. Um, it floats. And, and so it's a box that floats. And I've, I've read lots and lots of engineering, you know, cre creationist kind of blogs where engineering studies have shown that this is the dimensions that, that are given is the most, uh, you know, the most floaty kind of box that could have been made without. <laughs> the most floaty. <laughs> the point is, is that God says, you know what, I'm about to destroy stable. everything. And so you need to build a big box. The, float, the floatiest. The floatiest of all boxes. <laughs> For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under the heaven. Everything that is 
on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come unto the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of each sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. There shall be male and female, the birds according to their kind, and the animals according to their kind. Of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come to stay with you to keep them alive. We wish we hadn't included mosquitoes. Oh, I know, right? Um, Could we have done away with those last two mosquitoes? Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall ser- be served as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. So, as you read the story, God sends the animals. Part of the the movies and stuff of Noah having to go out and catch lions is not true. God innately put it in the critters to go to where they were. Um, and so, two of every kind. So, it could be... We don't have to think about this that that of every it's of every genus has to come on there because everything else is split off of that. And so without getting too technical, first of all, even if you're dealing with something like an elephant, in all likelihood God didn't didn't send two twenty year old elephants. Even though the size of the ark would easily have contained, if if you study it, all of all of the critters, I'm just thinking that just food wise, I mean an elephant eats a lot of Food. If, if cartoons, I don't know how much food, but if cartoons are any judge, it's a lot of peanuts. A lot of peanuts. A lot of it. So, but to young'uns. Just a few peanuts. Just a few peanuts. It's like a bag or two. And you could probably train the monkeys to take the the, the elephants the peanuts every day. Yeah. Well, I, I, see, I see a lot of logic here. What's going through my mind, and I'm so quiet about, is because I've heard, you know, in in within, within Christendom, we have fought over, and there's been discussions. This is another one of the points where it's whether this was, um, if God's point was at this point was not to destroy animals, it was to destroy the evil that was perpetuated in the heart of humanity. So the scope of the flood has been something that has been debated over the years, and that's just where my mind keeps going to as we're talking through and reasoning through. You know, which animals were kept and which were not. You know, the <clears throat> there's been studies done on the polar ice caps about whether there was a flood that covered both poles at the same time. It would be in the record when they drill down and, sure. and, and take one of those out. So there's a lot of debate that goes on the, to that story and that goes to the background of that. Sure. And, and I, I think <laughs> that um, here's what we know. Every human being... And everything that had breath, because this is what the text says, was died. And the idea behind it, and I will say that um, there, there's just a few things that are cross-culturally universal. But the flood is one of those a things. A flood story, right. It, it, the, there being a flood narrative is a universal, <laughs> um, which would make sense and and I, if the I, only people alive that came out of Orno right, and his they, they would have right? known about yeah. it. And I got I got really tickled. I was in a world mm-hmm. history class in, in at university, as they say in England. And <clears throat> this person was saying, "So this proves that the Bible isn't true. They just adapting this story." And I'm like, "Or it could be that it really happened." And that's why every culture everybody has the talks story. about it. It's like yeah. to me, this this is an <laughs> apologetic of of how we know it's true. And to this person sitting across me, this was. I'm clearly proving that this is just made up. And and this was the area, the cradle of what we call the cradle of civilization. This is where humanity began. Uh, uh, you know, all evidence we have points to the fact that this is where humans came from that eventually did migrate as they populated the earth. So I, I want to close with this thought because in Second Peter, um, in the New Testament, 
Peter lays out one of the purposes for the flood. And Peter says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment. Here's what Peter is saying. It's easy for us to go, everything's just going to happen the way it's always happened. And that's to, to, so I can get away with doing whatever I want to do. Uh, and, and when people come to me and ask questions about end time stuff, they, they've read it, they're reading the book of Revelation, they're reading the Olivet Discourse, and they have questions about that. I, I usually, uh, if, they're, if they're a well-versed person, will say something along the lines of, the next eschatological event that you will probably experience in your life is going to be your own death. But for some group of people, that's not going to be true. There are some people who are going to see the end of time. The very nature of it being the end of time should drive us to be faithful. What Peter is saying is don't get caught up in the habit of saying, well, it's just going to happen the way it's always happened. But recognize that at some point the curtain will drop there will be a trumpet sound. And he is using the flood as a way of saying, God got fed up. Now, Peter's audience is not lost people. Peter's audience is a church. And so his scoffers and scoffing is pointing at us, that we and the church, those who believe in the act of a flood, it's easy for us to go, eh, and just go about our doing what we want to do. And what Peter is saying is, slow your roll, recognize that when you least expect it is when the thief comes. And I, I, I have here at church at North Glencoe, I've used the example, when I was a kid, I had a, a specific set of chores that I had to do. And then the summer it was grass and weed eating, and in the winter it was splitting wood and having enough wood. I've gotten enough whoopings. I know exactly I was supposed to have enough wood on the carport where it wouldn't get wet for three days, and I was supposed to build a fire because that was the only heat we had in the house. We didn't have central heat. We had a fireplace. And so that was my job. So I got off the bus at 3 o'clock, 3.15, and then Dad wasn't going to come home for 5.30. That's forever, right? I mean, two and a half hours. hours. And so I have back-to-back mashes, Gilligan's Island, and um, I, I just, I had some really quality, uh, I Dream a Genie. Oh, yeah. Just yes. back yes. to back to back on TBS. <laughs> I mean, some quality TV going on here. And so I could just put it off a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And then I would look out, you know. And, and about 15 minutes left before Dad gets home. And t- about 10 minutes left before Dad gets home. I'm busting it with, you know, and, of course, everything's going to, the, the tire on the wheelbarrow is going to bust. The, <laughs> the, the wood's going to be naughty, so it's not going to, everything that could go wrong. And yet I'm the one that waited till dusk. And if that, if that green Dodge pickup truck pulled up in the driveway and I was still running around or that fire wasn't, blowing so it was warm. I knew there was going to be trouble. And yet every day I went through the same thing. 
And so whenever I read, don't be deceived, don't get caught with your oil, without any oil with your lamp, I always think of me sitting there watching um, Gilligan's Island, checking, it's just, it's (laughs) getting dusky, I really need to get out and get to work, but I got just five, I wait till the next commercial. And year after year, time after time, (laughs) I became more and more acquainted with that leather belt. (laughs) And so I, I, that always strikes home to me of be prepared, be caught doing what God's called you to do. Be the husband that God's called you to be today. Be the wife that God's called you to be today. Be the employee that God's called you to be today. Be the citizen that God's called you to be today. Follow after Jesus today because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Even if the next eschatological event that you do experience is your own death, your days are numbered, and you don't know when that curtain's going to fall for you. So be caught doing good. That's all I've got. Y'all have anything? No. So next we're going to go to Abram. We're probably going to park there for a little while. Um, you may catch us singing Father Abraham on the show. You may. You may. So. Done. Um, Done. I always think of the first part of the Bible in my mind, uh, you know, several years ago, and I may have heard this one from someone else, but we go across these large stories, you know, the creation, the fall, the flood, uh, the tower, um, all these big stories. And then all of a sudden you narrow it down to like Abraham. We're going to go, we're going to go to Abram. And in my mind, visually, I don't know where I, I think I got it from somebody else, but it's like that, the old Westerns, you know, how they'd show like a whole panoramic view of, the desert region and then they would come in and they would narrow it down to there's one lone rider on the back of a you know on the back of a horse and for some reason as we approach abram i always think of that example of how the bible goes from the large scale down to the small and we follow one man and his descendants absolutely (coughs) so god's got a plan he's working the plan so you go serve your king This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening, and go serve your king.